bring out your Panama hats and your spoons. For God's sake, don't forget the spoons. We're celebrating the seventh doctor. Plus, a peek behind the curtain. Was there a curtain? At the recent Reality Bomb 50th episode live show in New York and a preview of what's to come on This Week in Time Travel for October 3rd. Well, hello, Chip. It is very good to be hearing your voice again. Well, I was talking a lot last week, but nobody was listening. Alas, we spoke into the void. Yeah, well, Thanks, everyone, for hanging with the uh, impromptu vacation that we had. Yeah, all of our plans sort of fell apart, and This Week in Time Travel took a temporary vacation. We are back, though, and we've got plans for the rest of the year, but... We'll talk to you about them a little bit later in the episode. Meanwhile, let's talk a little bit about uh, something that happened in the world of Doctor Who that, Alyssa, you participated in at one of our favorite podcasts. We did Did it it live. live. Yes, I went up to New York this weekend for Reality Bomb's 50th episode live show, and it was a wonderful treat. Really just a fantastic time getting to hang out with some of my favorite people. Um, I am going to be in Gallery of the Underrated, uh, defending the unicorn and the wasp. And I'm also in the news quiz where it comes down to a very, very, very narrow you'll have to see if it's a win or a loss when the episode comes out (laughs) so i had a fair amount of bourbon before we recorded that as well so i hope i sounded as good as i thought i did (laughs) (laughs) now if you're not familiar with reality bomb if you haven't listened to the podcast you have heard the host of reality bomb graham burke he's helped us out on our Department of Received Fan Wisdom segments here on This Week in Time Travel. Reality Bomb is kind of, it's kind of this mashup of a Prairie Home Companion and the Happiness Patrol. but we mean it as a compliment. I feel like we should emphasize. (laughs) It is this very NPR. Uh, Graham works really hard. He and his co-producer, co, I forget exactly the title, but Alex Kennard and Graham worked really hard every month to put together a really polished, really thoughtful, really funny show with uh, essays and panels and skits, lots and lots of comedy skits. It's, it is a delightful podcast and He's really done such a good job with his uh, live co-host, Shannon Dohar, of making this thing just a great, a great live show. He's done it a couple of times at conventions and in New York, and I'm so glad that you were able to be part of the party. Especially because I missed the Gallifrey One live show. I'd really been hoping to see that. So this was making up for what I missed back in February. We unreservedly endorse Reality Bomb, and if you've never listened to it before, check it out at realitybomb.libsyn.com, and the 50th episode will be on the feed in the fullness of time, but it's the next one coming up. Yep, so keep your eyes peeled. Was there any other news of the week, Alyssa? There 
was not too much news of the week. There's mostly just a lot of side eye. Side uh, eye? So, side eye. There was a spectacularly bad Doctor Who calendar that came out. I have a lot of sympathy and a lot of room in my heart for fan merchandising. It's really an important part of being a fan and not all of the art appeals to everybody all the time, but my God, was there someone asleep at the wheel for the last one and talk about this a little bit in reality bomb. So you'll hear about that there as well. But this thing wasn't checklisted what, what, at all. What is this thing? Help me out here. So it's a Doctor Who annual calendar that came out. And basically, it's 12 months of the year, 12 doctors, and they wanted to do an image of the doctor and an image of some of the villains that the doctor had come up against in their tenure. And also a quote from the doctor, except... They got this hilariously wrong. There are villains showing up with doctors that, like, the doctors never appeared opposite them. There are horrifically awful quotes that are attributed to the wrong person. And my favorite one is a quote from the master is wrongly attributed to the doctor. And not just like a random innocent quote, something, something that should have set off alarm bells in people's heads as soon as they read this. So there's this lovely image of John Pertwee standing there, hands on his hips, and the quote attributed to him is, I only need two things, your submission and your obedience to my will. <laughs> Which is just so wrong. Like, were they drunk when they made this? Were they high when they made this? Did nobody check this before it went into production and went out? Like, it's bad. It's real bad. I'll send a link in the show notes so you can see this wonderful, glorious, awful thing with your own two eyes. Because if I had to see it, you need to, too. I, I think you're possibly being uncharitable towards this product. It's actually possibly revealing some hidden unknown secrets about the third doctor's personality or proclivities, dare I say. Oh, dear. Or perhaps, perhaps this is another one of the master's plans all along. He's there, the nefarious force behind That's this. That's not really John Perchwee in that picture <laughs> in the calendar. It's a rubber mask. Oh, God, he's going to tear off the mask and Delgado is going to come leaping out of the pages at us. Uh, <laughs> so this is an actual licensed calendar. It is. How? How? Is this, can I, just anybody get a license? Can I show up and get a license? Can I just, you know, put Michelle Gomez quotes over Delgado's pictures? Actually, that doesn't sound like a half bad idea. You know what? I'm going to go do it. Nobody's checking this, so nobody can stop me. I think we have a new Tumblr project. BadDoctorWhoQuotes.tumblr.com? Yes, I think we've got a project here. <laughs> I'm down for it. Oh, so as we get closer and closer to Christmas, we will have more actual honest-to-God news to talk about on this week in time travel. We'll also have we some hope. other stuff to talk about, but we'll get to that at the end of the podcast, won't we? We absolutely will. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about something that is fairly, well, sort of timely in an anniversary kind of sense. It is the 30th anniversary, give or take a couple of weeks, 
of the Seventh Doctor. Sylvester McCoy's first story, Time in the Ronnie, first premiered approximately 30 years ago. The story started in September 7th and ended September 28th. True to the wibbly-wobbly nature of time, we are now going back to talk about Sylvester McCoy in October. <laughs> well, we got there eventually. <laughs> we got there eventually. I mean, and and it would have been last week. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, Sylvester McCoy, the last of the classic Doctors, and his tenure on the show was very, very different from his immediate predecessors. It was sort of the last effort to secure a, a future for the show when the BBC had pretty much contempt for Doctor Who. He is one of my favorites, but he is also polarizing. I guess you could put me and Warren Fry from Radio Free Scarrow in a room, talk about the Seventh Doctor, and we'd sort of cancel each other out, or it'd be a matter-antimatter explosion or something like that. Where do you stand on Sylvester McCoy and the Seventh Doctor? He's definitely up there as one of my favorites. I think that he has just abundance of charm. Sylvester McCoy is himself just the sweetest man. And you see him at a Doctor Who convention, and he is just so generous and so giving to his fans, and also just the most adorable person like I've ever met. Like, put a baby in front of him, and he just immediately goes back into that doctor role and he is pulling faces and making silly noises for them. And it's just the cutest thing. I do actually like him just because of the stories and everything that he did on Doctor Who. But like my first impressions of him were at the conventions that I've attended recently. And that just always stuck with me that he is just such a generous human. And it made me love his character and what he did with that role even more. So I have watched all of Sylvester McCoy's episodes, but Chip, you've got a couple missing patches there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little I'm a little spotty. I'm a little spotty on all of my classic Who, honestly. I've seen high points for every doctor and um, just not just never feels like there's enough time in the day. And I do sort of subscribe to the Deb Stanish theory. Uh, she is a moderator of the Verity podcast, and she slowed down on her classic Doctor Who watching when she realized that if she did that, then when it came time to discuss those episodes for Verity, she'd be able to come at them fresh, having seen them for the first time. And I'm kind of like that. But I have seen a range of Sylvester's episodes. And you talked about him pulling faces and being a clown with babies. And that's the that's the first most dominant impression that I have of him is going back to Time and the Ronnie and Boy, that must have been a shock to the system for so many people whose most previous memory of the doctor was Colin Baker complaining about carrot juice. And all of a sudden, Doctor Who, in the persona of the seventh doctor, is really, really, really trying to be funny. And I'm not sure that a lot of Doctor Who fans welcome funny. It's very strange because there are two very different reactions that I see people have when you talk about uh, Sylvester McCoy's doctor. You have some people who immediately latch onto funny and clown and vaudeville. And you have some people who go more towards scheming, 
mastermind darker doctor because there's a shift in that he tries to be more charming than Colin Baker's doctor. He's less abrasive, but they're really trying to build a hint that there is something more to this doctor than what we are seeing on screen. So depending on what brought you to him first, and also depending on how much you've delved into some of the expanded materials about uh, Sylvester McCoy's doctor, people really latch on to very different traits and characteristics from him. I think personally, I really got invested in him as more of the charmer and the vaudeville kind of character first. But really what I sort of latched onto uh, next was his role as a mentor for Ace. And I think that is one of really his defining characteristics that he's trying to be some sort of positive figure for her. It's sometimes parental and sometimes professorial and sometimes just being the friend that this girl clearly needs. And it's charming and it's fun. And there's a little bit of exasperation between the both of them that's just delightful. Uh, We'll get a a little bit more into this uh, in a moment. But I think one of my favorite moments ever between Ace and the doctor is she's just blown something up in Battlefield. And they've had to duck into a ditch. And he's just sitting there going, I'm going to have to lecture you again on appropriate safety protocols, aren't I? And it just is one of the best moments of their entire relationship. And I love it. Chip, what are some of your favorite characteristics about the Seventh Doctor? Uh, it's, it, it's, it's a little hard to nail down because he changes almost as much from Time in the Ronnie to Survival as the 12th Doctor does in his run. You know, he starts out as a clown and then he ends in a darker place, not quite as dark as some of the uh, New Adventures novels would eventually take him. But I just keep contrasting between the guy who just keeps mixing up his aphorisms in Time of the Ronnie, but he's doing that all over the place. So he's very funny. He's... And this is not funny, this is kind of silly, but he's playing the spoons on the Ronnie's chest. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 goofball stuff. And then you go all the way up to survival, and you have one of the most perfect doctor and master moments. And it's a very dark moment where they're on the planet of the cheetah people, and the doctor has encountered the master for the first time. And we're watching the cheetah people sort of surrounding and getting ready to pounce on this poor sap. And the doctor and the master just stand there casually side by side, sort of observing. Sylvester McCoy plays it so that you can tell that he is not down with what's about to happen, but he doesn't see a way to change it. And therefore, he's not... It's almost Capaldi-esque in how unsentimental he is about it. He's he he in that moment he's a powerful time lord. He's a bit of an other and he's almost as dangerous as the master himself. It's an incredible range for Sylvester McCoy and I think that he is an unjustly maligned actor in the role. 
Absolutely. I think he doesn't get the credit that he deserves for the range that he really brings to that role, that he brings so many different interpretations to the various moments that he has, because he has a a lot. Sometimes he does have to play the fool. Sometimes he has to play, you know, the righteous vigilante. And sometimes he's giving these roaring, charging political speeches that are barely even veiled for the time about what he's really talking about with the conservative government in the UK. And then he's doing carnival tricks and playing the fool again in front of a crowd. And it's a really fascinating ability to just completely 180 whenever it's called for. The dude who does magic tricks in front of the gods of Ragnarok and slides down a cable with his umbrella handle in remembrance of the Daleks is also the dude who blows up Scarrow. Just just blows it up. I mean, I mean, we have all kinds of retcons and all this other stuff because, you know, it's it's complicated and it's 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 Doctor Who. There is no canon. It's Doctor Who. But 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 he blows it up. <laughs> I, I wish it's everyone who's listening pleasant. to this right now could could see what Chip is doing right now. It's just absolutely just throwing his hands up in the air. He's going Chip's going full survival now. I'm going to need help here. <laughs> we will die like animals. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, God, you can't do the accent. Don't. No, 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 no. Don't not, do that. Don't do that. I didn't try to do the accent. You were saying. <laughs> Let's get into some of our favorite episodes from his tenure. I tried to say favorite episode, and then I realized that I wasn't going to be able to narrow it down, so I decided not to be cruel and make you narrow it down as well. So I'm going to lead off and say that um, basically I love uh, season 26. I still don't understand Ghost Light, but it does have a scene that is very widely interpreted uh, to kind of show that, hey, Ace is probably not straight at all. Um, So it, you know, still gets, you know, a gold star in my book. But Battlefield, Curse of Fenric, Survival, I think are three of his absolute best episodes and you really like we were talking about sort of get the range of the seventh doctor battlefield has a lot of big dramatic moments but it's probably one of the sillier episodes of that season you know you have him playing merlin going up against knights and witches you have the return of the brigadier which is just absolutely gorgeous you have a lot of silly fun moments between the doctor and ace and it's just a all-around charming delight this is my you know rainy day episode that i go back to whenever i need something that will just bring a smile to my face uh curse of fenric i think is one of the best episodes between seventh doctor and ace just the defining moment of their relationship and survival i mean What more can I say about survival that hasn't already been said? Rona Monroe wrote a tremendous episode, and the final scene is just the best possible send-off that series could have as it went off into hiatus and then cancellation until 2005. So season 26 is definitely my favorite of The Seventh Doctor. And hey, look, I narrowed it down to a season. Over to you, Chip. I'm going to narrow it down to one. 
And it's not entirely fair because it's not entirely a showpiece for Sylvester McCoy, but I think that that's actually in some ways the episode's strength, and that's Remembrance of the Daleks. Remembrance of the Daleks is a conventional story, but it is kind of action-packed and modern in a way that Doctor Who hadn't felt for quite a while. It's the sort of story that I could show to my kid uh, when my kid was much younger. Uh, That was the show that I picked to try to get him interested in classic Who. It's quite a bridge. If survival captures the family drama and the uh, groundedness of especially the early Russell T. Davis stories, Remembrance of the Daleks is just a cracking adventure yarn with a fair bit in the way of modern special effects and interesting minor characters. And specific to Sylvester McCoy, he is funny. Give me a canister of that nitro nion you're not carrying. Um, (laughs) And yet he is dangerous. He is a doctor. He's got layers. This is when they start what was later called the Cartmel master plan sort of easing through as the doctor suggests that maybe he was around in Rassilon's time. Sylvester McCoy is, of all people, the calm center around which that entire episode revolves. And it's the 25th anniversary episode as well. Um, I love Remembrance of the Daleks, in part because it's just so darn competent, but also because it feels like modern television. It really, really does. Um, you know, it's been said before that as you get into the Sylvester McCoy era, you really start to see the template of what will be the modern show taking shape, um, both in you know, the way the stories are being built and the way the relationship between the Doctor and the Companion is being formed, which brings me to a sort of, two-part question slash idea I wanted to explore. Um, You know, I think one of the things that we haven't talked too much about yet is sort of the remainder of season 24. You know, Time in the Ronnie is his first episode, and you really start to get a glimpse of him. Um, I will say, I don't want to be mean about it. It's, I don't think, his strongest season. I think they're still trying to figure out the character by that point. I think that they are trying some things with these episodes, but at least for me, they don't really land. Um, And even for a show that, you know, has to stretch sometimes to be able to make that cliffhanger, ending one episode of Dragonfire with the doctor just clambering over a railing and then hanging by his umbrella for For no reason. For no apparent reason. No reason whatsoever. Just, you know, the eye roll measurement is kind of off the charts. And that is the moment that they chose to do with Clara in... Yes! Why? Why? But I think one of the reasons that season also struggles is that... Unfortunately, we have Mel there. And I don't mean to hate on Mel when I say this. I think that she is a companion that had a lot of potential that was really underutilized. And she was at this point a holdover from Colin Baker's tenure and didn't seem to really be able to build quite as strong of a companion relationship 
between Mel and the Seventh Doctor, it just never really, at least for me, quite found its feet. Never really landed. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really sort of night and day. Uh, Bonnie Langford is fine, but mm-hmm. when you've got Andrew Cartmel and Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred all on the same page, that's when that Doctor and that era really start to shine. There are some doctors that you just inherently think of with a specific companion pairing, and it's the seventh doctor and ace all the way. Absolutely. And I think that it's just such a charming touch to have Ace call the doctor professor, because that's really what their entire relationship is about. You know, with Mel, it's she's along for the ride, but we don't really know why she's traveling with the doctor. And that's partly due to, you know, weirdness at the end of Colin Baker's tenure, where she just arrives and she's there and she's been there and we're supposed to just accept this and move on. But, you know, with Ace, you know, she has a pretty firm reason to be there you know at first she's just accepting a ride back with the doctor and she's going for a journey like she's there and she's learning and she's really trying to see the universe and figure herself out you know she is kind of the best angsty teen slash young adult I think I've seen on television frankly because they got that mixture of angry teenager with charm with a really good mentorship relationship that it didn't, you know, become overwhelming. You know, it's not Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix grumbling kind of throughout it. It's really seeing a young woman struggling to determine what she wants to do, who she wants to be, dealing with a lot of trauma in her life. Um, And I think that it really brings a fullness to the doctor-companion relationship when we can see her as a whole person and understand why she's there traveling with the doctor. I mean, it's an honest-to-goodness relationship. And frequently, the doctor didn't have consistent relationships with the characters uh, who were his companions because that really wasn't what the show was about. Yeah, it sort of wasn't the point. And you felt this a little bit with Mel, you know, she came in and she was supposed to have these computer skills. And it really just seemed like a hodgepodge of characteristics that was said, okay, now here's your companion, here's the package and go. Um, And they just didn't seem to invest the amount of time building out her character that we really needed. One thing that I still I'm always going to be a little sad about the most recent season of Doctor Who, though, is that we didn't get quite those Bill Ace parallels that we thought we were going to get. Um, I don't know if uh, those of you listening will recall, but when we first got that clip of Bill with the Doctor, from the outfit to the way she was talking with him, everyone thought, yes, this is so ace right here that's what she is so doing so to speak so to speak and she was going to be you know the doctor was going to be bill's professor so many opportunities to bring in those ace references and build a relationship along the similar lines and 
was almost there. Didn't quite come through, but almost, almost happened. Yeah. Uh, Seventh Doctor and Ace were a phenomenal pairing and practically iconic. And they carried together into well into the new adventures. The characters went through some divergences from where we left them in survival, but it's it's lasting. I mean, you look at uh, you look at Tom Baker, you think Liz Sladen. You think about David Tennant, you think about Billy Piper. You think about Sylvester McCoy, you think about Sophie Aldred. It's it's really that clear in a way that it's not necessarily so for William Hartnell or honestly Peter Davison. None of the companions for those doctors really paired up with him in the same way that, you know, Ace and Seven, Jamie and Two, you know, they're all they're all of a kind. Exactly. So even though this was the 30th anniversary of Time and the Ronnie, I would not normally suggest that for first time Sylvester McCoy viewers. So if you're listening and you're trying to figure out where your starting point is going to be for getting into Sylvester McCoy's era in Doctor Who, um, my personal recommendation would be Battlefield. There's not too much in a big arc that you have to worry about missing. You can get pretty much the quintessential Doctor-Ace relationship. It's a fun episode. There'll also be the Brigadier. So if you like the Brigadier, go start there because that's going to be a fun one for you. Uh, Chip, what would you recommend as a first-time episode for new Sylvester McCoy viewers? I'd say Remembrance followed by Survival. I'd say specifically those two episodes uh, because there are so many hints at what the new series is going to become. It's a great opening. It's a great way to get into the Seventh Doctor. And they are both cracking yarns on their own merits. Don't do Ghost Light. I did Ghost Light. Don't oh, do God. Ghost Light. Why? Because people like Chris Burgess at Radio Free Scarrow told me I should. Chris, why on earth did you tell Chip to do that? I'm specifically calling you out, friend. Like, this is, that's a hell of an episode to tell somebody to start with from the McCoy era. There are, there are different people who value different things from their Doctor Who. Ghostlight is a Rorschach test for Doctor Who fandom. You will know exactly what kind of Doctor Who fan you are dealing with by asking them, what do you think of Ghostlight? I'm sorry, I'm still trying to process that someone still thought it was a good idea to have someone start. Anyways, that's... Chris is perfectly welcome to his opinion. I'm... Do not start with Ghostlight. It's a very experimental episode. <laughs> it's a hard one. This week on The Incomparable Network... Speaking of 30th anniversaries, Jason Snell and friends celebrate the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation, reviewing The Ridiculous, Encounter at Farpoint, and The Sublime, all good things, on The Incomparable. Erica and Steven kick off their new episode-by-episode rewatch of The Prisoner on the TV feed. And it's season finale week for some of Monty and Rias' favorite reality shows on The Villain Edit. All this and more at TheIncomparable.com.
we mentioned Jason Snell just a few minutes ago in the promo, and we are totally ripping him off. Totally. Here are our Christmas plans for 2017. Our Christmas plans start next week because it is Christmas all the way up until Christmas Day with some breaks for other holidays. But it's Christmas in October, people. Peter Capaldi is leaving uh, December 25th. You might have heard this. Quite possibly might have heard this, maybe. I was kind of expecting a scream and a wail. Uh, I think we've done that joke, but I was still expecting it. Jason suggested that it would be a really good idea to watch every Christmas episode. And he'd actually did it himself. And we thought, that's great podcast fodder. And so we're going to steal it. So we are going to be doing one or two Christmas episodes a week leading up to Christmas. We are going to take some breaks in between. Uh, We're going to do a special Halloween-themed episode. Uh, We may have one or two breaks for, oh, you know, Thanksgiving and holidays and family things. And there's weddings and things that need to happen between now and then. But we're not going to take too many of those breaks. But we are going to go episode by episode for every single Christmas special. Uh, We are also, right before Twice Upon a Time, going to look back onto the 10th planet. So we have seen what brings us up to this final climactic moment for both the 12th Doctor and the 1st Doctor. Forgive us our Christmases and forgive those who Christmas against us, because we're going to be Christmasing Pretty much every week from here on out. And you thought Costco got into Christmas too early. So we'll be starting off next week with two of the 10th Doctor's Christmas specials, Christmas Invasion and Runaway Bride, two of my absolute favorites. So we'll be beginning our Christmas sojourn with the introduction of a doctor, and we will be closing it with the departure of a doctor and the introduction of a new doctor right at the very end. Yay! Kismet. Symmetry. Um, So that's what's coming up on This Week in Time Travel for the rest of the year. We will have other stuff going on, interviews and things like that, but that is your roadmap. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. And speaking of good night, it is time to wrap up This Week in Time Travel. You can find us on the web at thisweekintimetravel.com and on Twitter at drwhothisweek. I tweet at numeral two-minute time lord, not to be outdone. Alyssa tweets and tumbles at Whovian Feminism. And we are also at Facebook. Look for This Week in Time Travel. Jason Snell runs the network and graciously invited us. You can support all of us by becoming a member at theincomparable.com forward slash members. Our theme music is by Christopher Breen. Our podcast logo was designed by David J. Lore. For October 3rd, Thank you for joining us on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye.